This is Soccer Pilgrim, the podcast dedicated to soccer and travel, where each stadium is shrine and its fans delay people. For the traveler, it is another culture to explore. Welcome to the Soccer Pilgrim podcast with Jason Kim. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Soccer Pilgrim. I'm your host, Jason Kim. And today's episode is on Budapest. But before we go any further, there's something I got, I guess, uh, housekeeping and certain things I need to update. I made a mistake in the last episode, which was I was talking about how the Netherlands and the Czech Republic were playing in Bucharest uh, for that match. turns out they were playing in Budapest. Bucharest, Budapest. So as you can see where my mistake happened, you can see where I mixed up the notes between Bucharest, Budapest. It's literally like pretty almost the same thing except change up the consonants um and also romania and hungary both those cities are the respective capitals of those two uh countries of uh romania bucharest the capital of romania and budapest the capital of hungary uh, hungary and romania are also neighboring countries and the f- the time to go from bucharest to budapest by plane is less than two hours so not only am i forgiven for mixing up these two cities with similar names but i think i should also be forgiven because they're literally like pretty much next to each other but anyway so that was the announcement so that netherlands czech republic game big upset that happened in budapest so that being said uh today's episode is obviously on budapest very famous city a lot of people know about it if you're like what there's that movie that came out a few years ago the grand budapest hotel so that being said for this episode it's on budapest and Budapest is probably a city that a lot of people know about for sure over Bucharest. That I, I'm confident to say that. And also, I feel like people know hun- the country of Hungary more than um, than the country of Romania for whatever reason. So that being said, like all other episodes, I'll first introduce the city and then the venue where the games are happening, which is the Pushkash Arena, as they say in Hungarian, apparently. And then I'll talk about um, the games that happen... Well. I'll talk about some of the games that happened in the stadium. And then I'll also talk about Hungary's uh, performance in the 2016 and 2020 Euros. Budapest. If you, don't know, if you don't know the city, you'll definitely know the name. The capital of Hungary, Budapest, is... Well, Anthony Bourdain once referred to the city as architecture porn. I mean, if you look... If you watch that episode of Anthony Bourdain of Parts Unknown, when he goes to Budapest, it's it looks marvelous. They, he, he goes, it seems like... Not in the summer, but it seems like it goes in like the fall or or the spring or it seems like in a colder time of the year, maybe even winter. And it's gorgeous. It's a beautiful city, you know, thermal spas, you know, Renaissance architecture, like early modern architecture of the 1800s. It's it's fantastic. What a, it's a beautiful city, really. So once upon a time, Budapest was separated, was actually two separate cities, rather, on each side of the Danube River. The Danube River is a very famous river. I heard it once called, like, the Amazon of Europe because of, like, the biodiversity that's in the river. And, it, you know, it's long and and it's a river, so it's good for life, <laughs> I guess. But, yeah, so there's a Danube River. And then on each, ba- on each side of each banks of the Danube River was Buda and Pest, two separate cities. Yada, yada, yada. Long story short, they unified in 1873 through a fusion dance like in Dragon Ball Z. And now they're one city completed by, well, unified, I guess, through bridges and so on. And in this show with Athi Bordi and Aparts Unknown, it was explained that the Buddha side is Asia and Pest is the European side, as uh, the locals will call it. It's similar, I guess, to like Turkey on how one side of Istanbul is 
is your is Europe and the other side is considered Asia. So I guess in uh, Budapest is sort of is a similar thing going on, if you will. But when you look at Budapest and then you look at Hungary as a country uh, as a whole, you know, there's a lot of history in the region, a lot, a lot of history, you know, the Hungarian and Hungarian kingdoms and empires. And then also once they've unified with the Austrian Empire, created the Austro-Hungarian Empire, which caused, you know, that empire was pretty much the, I guess, the one who started World War One, if you will. But anyway, that's not what I'm here for. <laughs> that's not what I'm talking about. But I do want to mention this one fascinating thing that I found about that I found out about hung- Hungary, not just Hungary, rather the language, the Hungarian language. Not a lot of us grew up with Hungarian neighbors or classmates or whatever. I only know literally two Hungarians. One I went to high school with and then a guy that I've met through my friend Karabo. And the fun here's a fun fact about Hungarian. Pussy means kiss. So whenever you hear Hungarians on the phone, they'll say pussy pussy, which is kiss kiss as a way of saying bye. So that was that was very amusing in high school to me all the time. So every time my Hungarian friend would pick up the phone and it's her parents i would just shut up and listen to her say pussy <laughs> like that's all it was oh so immature and it still makes me laugh oh i've grown up so much anyway so but here's a really cool thing i find about hungarian the hungarian language is unrelated to any of the languages spoken in the countries surrounding them so hungary is in the balkans they have romania croatia serbia austria all these other countries sort of surrounding them moldova as well and all these languages are somewhat related, all Sla- maybe not for Austrian, but they're all Slavic langu- languages. So they all have a common ancestor. But Hungarian sort of stands out uniquely because it's a language isolate. So the roots are still debated. Where the Hungarian language com- comes from is still very much debated among academics and experts and linguists. What they do know, however, is that Hungarian is more closely related to Finnish, to the language in Finland than it is related to Romanian or Serbian or Croat or whatever other language. Think about that. Like in the middle of the Balkans, you have a country called Hungary and all the languages surrounding it all come from a common ancestor and it can all kind of speak to each other within their own native languages. Kind of, not really. Like Romanian to, to Serbian is like is pretty different because Romanian, as I said last episode, is a romance language. Whereas Croatian, Serbian, you know, uh or what, what other Balkan languages I'm blanking out on. They're all Slavic. Moldovan is Slavic as well. You see you see it in Hungar- Hungarian language is just its own thing. Very interesting, very fascinating. And we all, what is, Hungarian is also considered one of the hardest languages to learn because it's an old language, very old, and it's hard. And also the alphabet is considered difficult to read. So there's that. So it, it's as a matter of fact, they say that the best way to learn Hungarian is if you learn how to speak Hungarian at a young age because that's how difficult it is. So among the hardest languages in the world to learn, like Mandarin is one of them, Hungarian is one of them, Portuguese is considered one in terms of pronunciation. So I thought that was a fun fact. And I think we always, always, you should always consider language because language is a form of identity as well. And Hungarians like to, to me, it seems are very proud of who they are. Of course, like I feel like everyone, every, <laughs> in all honesty, every Balkan, every, any person I've met from the Balkans seems to be very proud. It's, I guess, a part of the culture or even as a man, part of the masculinity to have such pride. Anyway, so I thought that was a fun language, fun fact. Hungarian, very unique, stand on. It's its own thing, own language, kind of like how Basque is in Spain. Very interesting. But that being said, besides the fact that the that pussy means kiss in that language, another P word that's very important to mention is the Pushkash Arena. <laughs> the Pushkash Arena was completed in 2019. 
Like the stadiums in the previous episodes of Budapest and Azerbaijan, I mean Bucharest and Azerbaijan, it is a young stadium with a young history. Not a lot of things have happened in the stadium yet because it was constructed in like two, two years ago, essentially. And the biggest matches happened this year in that stadium, which was the Champions League games when they came back to replay the Champions League with the COVID rules, sort of like their own UEFA Champions League bubble where only a select few of stadiums throughout Europe will host games with no, with no fans. And, and Pushkas Arena was one of them where I think Liverpool played RB Leipzig and they won. And also they had, you know, four very big uh, Euro matches that happened. You know, the first one being Hungary's loss to Portugal's uh, 0-3. Despite that scoreline, Hungary held held it equal up until like the 85th minute. And then Portugal, Cristiano Ronaldo happened essentially. But I remember watching that game and everyone was saying Hungary was playing good. They were impressive. Like maybe they could keep up in this group and maybe they can make it out. Uh, spoiler alert. For those not following the Euros, uh, they didn't make it out. But they still earned the respect because they almost did make it out. At the next game, they played France. They drew 1-1 against France. That's a really good result for Hungary against a, a stacked France team like this who lost yesterday against Switzerland. As a matter of fact, I'm going to talk about those the two craziest games, Spain versus Croatia and uh, Spain uh, France versus Switzerland. Those two games will be mentioned at the end of the episode because I feel like it's way too crazy. Anyway. The next game is uh, that happened at the Pushkash Arena is Portugal versus France, which equaled 2-2. That was a great game to watch. Benzema with two goals, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo with two goals, former teammates at Real Madrid. Good to see them smile at each other like uh, Marco Royce and Robert Lewandowski. And the game I talked about yesterday, Netherlands-Czech Republic. Czech Republic being the dark horse of this tournament, defeating the Dutch in Budapest. Very big deal. I'm loving this Euros. It's, it's, it's been an incredibly fun Euros. But anyway, so the Pushkash Arena, what makes it special isn't so much the stadium itself or the games that happened there. What makes the venue special is the name of the venue. For those who don't know, uh, when you see Pushkash, you probably think of the award that FIFA gives out. The Pushkash Award at the FIFA level, well, at, yeah, at FIFA, every year for the Ballon no, Well, now they separated the Ballon d'Or Award with the, FIFA best, uh, with the FIFA Best Awards, which is basically the best players in... FIFA Best is essentially just people voting who's the best players on the planet, stuff like that. And the Pushkash Award is given to the person who scored the most beautiful goal in soccer that year, whether it's at the amateur level or it's at the very top professional level. I think there has been amateur soccer players who've won this award before, so it's pretty cool. And what makes it cooler is that you get to vote online. So they'll select, let's say, 20 beautiful goals of the year and then they'll bring it down to like five and then from five they'll bring it down to three and then you get to vote who you think had the best goal that year which was you know it's amazing when you think about the pushkash awards you think of especially when you think of those who won it it's some of the most memorable goals of recent his of not just recent history of football history you know if you win the pushkash award that means your goal and that one moment you had on the on camera will be eternalized forever People will forever remember your goal and your goal will be held to a, a kind of standard where that is the standard of excellence and beauty when it comes to the artistry of scoring goals. You know, some of the most memorable goals that I've witnessed was uh, what Giroud scorpion kick when he was at Arsenal. Incredible. Or 19-year-old Neymar bursting through the Flamengo defense and scoring a FIFA-like goal. Like he was playing one-twos and doing incredible dribbles. He dribbled past like five guys when he was like 19 in Brazil and then scored an incredible goal. Like that goal is, is something else. That was something you only do on like the FIFA video games. 
And most importantly, the name Pushkash commandeers respect being one of the original Galacticos of Real Madrid. So for those who don't know, uh, Frank Pushkash was signed by Real Madrid uh, in the 50s. In the 50s, Real Madrid were the first ones to try this Galacticos policy. At the time, people were only recruiting soccer players locally. But Real Madrid, Santiago Bernabeu being the president and coach of the club at the time, thought he had a vision of Real, of Real Madrid as a club and or as an institution and wanted the best of the best. So he bought Di Stefano from Argentina and then he got Frank Puskas in Hungary and brought them to Real Madrid. And these guys were considered the best players on the planet at that time. So not for nothing, Real Madrid from 1950 to 55 won the first five Champions Leagues in a row. Some people said, oh, they bribed, they paid their way through, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, maybe they did. But also, like, if you have the two best players in the world in the 50s and everyone else doesn't have the best players in the world, I mean, what do you think is going to happen? But the reason why Frank Puskas gets the Puskas Award, like an incredible award given to him or, you know, given to his name, is because... The, you know, as a player, Frank Pushkas, Ferenc, F-E-R-E-N-C, Pushkas, P-U-S-K-A-S, just for those who want to look him up. He was the standard of Hungarian football. At the time, Hungary was considered like a, kind of like a powerhouse, sort of how we see Croatia in the last few years where we're looking at all the talent being produced and we're saying, oh, you know, Croatia has a way of producing talent. This is a good, you know, a good country, good stable football country. And Hungary was seen as that. If you want to get an understanding how good Frank Pushkash was, uh, here are some of the stats from 1954 World Cup in Switzerland. In the in the group games, he scored two goals against South Korea, and South Korea lost to Germ- uh, to Hungary nine nine zero. Well, you know, good for us, I guess. <laughs> Such a huge scoreline, and and he scored a goal against West Germany in the group stage as well against West Germany because Germany is split to West and East Germany. So they scored a goal. He scored a goal against Germany. You know, big deal. And then he missed the game against Brazil in the quarterfinals. And then he missed the game against uh, Uruguay in the semifinals. For those who don't know, uh, maybe not Brazil, but Uruguay was a very big deal in this time as well. They won the first two World Cups. So Uruguay was considered a high, very high esteem. And then finally, uh, and at the final, Hungary versus West Germany, Frank Puskas scored a goal against West Germany. However, they lost to the Germans at the end. And that was Germany as a whole. That was Germany's first ever World Cup win in 1954. So I'm saying all this, but as you can tell, Frank Puskas was very active in in the World Cup. I mean, if you just look at his record, he scored four goals in that World Cup and missed two. So he scored four goals in three games. The World Cup format at that time was much smaller. So there wasn't that many teams. I think it was probably like 16 teams or something like that. Or even 12. But the point is, is that he scored four goals in three games for any time in history. That's that's a great record. That's a good record for a knockout tournament. So quite impressive. But also when you go look through the history of uh, Pushkash, there's always he's always been held at a high honor, high regard because he's one of the first Hungarian players to make it out and make it big and put Hungary on the map. But also he was the original Galacticos. If you're a Real Madrid fan, that's a big deal. Galacticos is... That title is reserved for the biggest names in world football. If Messi had abandoned Barcelona and went to Real Madrid, which would be a sin, a travesty, that would, it, a blasphemous of a move. But if Messi were to do that, he is immediately a Galactico because it's Messi. The same reason why Real Madrid bought Cristiano Ronaldo because 
you know, he's a superstar. He's a Galactico. He deserves that title. So if you are considered a Galactico player at Real Madrid, that means you are worth a lot of money. You're not just an incredible player, but you're great for marketing. And Real Madrid's a marketing beast. So there's that to consider. But that being said, Frank Puskas has left a huge, huge mark on footballing history as a whole, especially European footballing history. So we don't hear much of, the, of Hungary today as, as a footballing nation, but we have to give them flowers in terms of the space they've created for themselves in the history of football. So that's a big deal. All right, so Hungary didn't make it out the group stage in the 2020 World Cup. They played well, but, you know, it ended, ended shortly for them, unfortunately. But I remember their performance in the 2016 World Cup. And I remember just thinking, I just, I remember their group because their group was interesting. They're in the same group as Iceland, Portugal, and Austria. It was funny because everyone predicted this group that Portugal would make it out on top, but they made it out third. And then they only later won the Euros by finishing third in the groups, which was kind of unheard of. Iceland finished second, Hungary finished first, you know, and which is honestly not a bad for a country like this and where they're at. That's not bad. You know, they beat Austria 2-0, then they tied Iceland 1-1, then they tied Portugal 3-3. Not bad results. One win, two draws, pretty good. You got five points and they made it top of the group. (laughs) Which sucks, because if you make it top of the group, that also means that you most likely be playing... You should theoretically be playing a a weaker side, I think. I forget how the group group matches happen past the group stage. But that doesn't matter, because... The team they played against was Belgium, and Belgium in its height, it's in their gold. This is the golden generation of Belgium. Some of the most talented Belgians that the world has ever seen. They lost 4-0 to Belgium. <laughs> Hungary lost 4-0 to Belgium, you know. Uh, I mean, it was kind of expected, but not to this Hungary, but it's just, you know, Belgium's that good. But what I remember the most from the 2016 World uh, Euros and Hungary was the fans. The fans just seemed so crazy uh, like extra like if you watch the 2020 uh, euros you notice that the uh, the pushkash arena was completely full because hungary doesn't care COVID doesn't exist in hungary apparently and it is just packed it is really as honestly nice to see and then there's a group you just the, the hungarian fans just seem so rowdy and crazy but above all very very passionate you know when you in football there's always there's a concept called the 12th man there's 11 men on the pitch but the 12th man is is the fans if the fans are energetic and the fan energy is right that energy could influence how the game happens it could influence the away team intimidate them and i feel like sometimes i feel like that did happen they didn't make it out the group stage but i feel like the game against portugal not against portugal against uh actually yeah against portugal i in the beginning i felt like they were struggling not technically, but perhaps mentally, because the fans were just so loud and like, just you know, they're being the twelfth man. A psychological game. Here's a clip of Hungarian fans marching to the Frank Puskas Arena to play France. This is this is before the game happens. Okay, so Hungarian fans, extra cool. Before I leave, I want to spend the maybe last five minutes 
talking about the games that happened yesterday. Spain versus Croatia. What a game. It ended 5-3 for Spain. And I felt so bad for Croatia because I love the small countries making it. I love to see the underdogs just push and push against the bigger teams. Like Spain's uh, f- footballing dominance is sort of weighing, like waning down from its days. 2008 to like 2016 was like the year of Spanish dominance. But I think past 2016, things are shifting. It went back to the English Premier League football dominance. It feels like. So Spain is sort of in a transition period between two generations or it's leading them. Maybe not. I mean, they still have some players from the previous World Cup generation like Sergio Busquets who won the World Cup 2010. So he's been on the you know, it's 10 years. So you have a new batch of young players coming in and the old batch are slowly being you know pushed out. Sergio Ramos wasn't chosen for this World Cup, uh, for this Euros, which I think is good for Spain in the long run because they need fresh players, new players. And because of that lack, that relative inexperience, I was a little worried for Spain. But also, I didn't believe in Alvaro Morata to score any goals because he's been struggling. However, before this game, he did come out saying that he was him and his family was, was receiving a lot of abuse for his performance. So, in a way, this was motivation for him to shut to shut those people down. At the other side, Croatia, you have Luka Modric, thirty five, and I just love him as a player. He's an incredible center midfielder, and. You know, they, they have a, Croatia has a ton of great players. Kramaric, Rebic, Perisic, Kovacic, Lovren. I, I read Lovren. Uh, Vida, Versalco. Anyone who ends with itch is an amazing player. And the game was really one-sided. It first it started with an incredible own goal from Spain where Unai Simon was unable to stop the ball from, from a defender passing it back to him. You could argue saying that pass back to him was quite hard, but at the same time, he should have been able to control it. Also, anyone who plays soccer at amateur level, you've controlled the ball the same way as he did, which was completely missing it. It happens. <laughs> it happened to me. So I was empathetic to when that happened to him, except not to the part where it was an own goal. But Unai Simon made two incredible saves much later into the game. And in, actually, in extra time, he made some two big saves to keep Spain in the competition because it was 3-1 for Spain. And I thought Spain had effectively kicked out Croatia. But Croatia came back. They came back fighting, and then they equalized. They scored a second goal. It made it 3-2. And then they scored a third goal, like, I think, two or three minutes before the 90th minute. And they equalized 3-3. I just remember jumping from my seat and thinking, we got a game. This is incredible. Greatest one, incredible comeback. If Croatia wins against Spain, one of the best comebacks in international football. But the thing about what Spain has over Croatia is that they got a younger team and a better bench. Croatia doesn't have that. And I think you started seeing it at extra time where the players on both sides looked very tired. But Spain looked, Spain still looked sharper towards the end of extra time. Whereas Croatia was starting to slow down. You could see it that it was getting to them that the game is over. But what this game showed is that you have to show Croatia respect. They went down fighting. They made it difficult. They made this a very difficult win. Which was a bigger satisfying win for the Spanish because it was a hard fought victory. And also, this if you're a Spanish fan or... Yeah, if you're a Spanish fan, you can't hate the Croatians because, like, half that team plays in Spain anyway. <laughs> and some of our favorite players in La Liga are Croatian. So that game ended, and good for Spain, too bad for Croatia, but uh, oh, what a great game. That was definitely the game, one of the games of the tournament. And then the game after that, Spain, uh, France versus Switzerland, I thought it was going to be, like, a typical 2-1. France is going to win 2-1, easy game, nothing too competitive. Well, I mean, competitive, but nothing too crazy. 
but I was completely wrong. Switzerland scored the first goal, and I was like, oh, okay, France going to struggle, and France, you know, just clutched it out incredibly. I mean, there was a weird Switzerland penalty that Ricardo, no, not Ricardo, uh, Rodriguez, the left back, took, and everyone was like, why is he taking it? There should have been someone else, and it was like his first legit penalty. I, that didn't make sense at all. They Swiss should have had a different uh, penalty taker, but then France, Benzema just turned up there's that one incredible touch he controls it like with his trailing leg and the ball bounces in front of him then he pokes it into the goal i thought he was going to lose it i thought the keeper was going to rush out and pick up the ball but benzema beats him despite being 35 years old himself he is moving like a 20 year old he he's so good he's so much fun to watch and then benzema scores another goal a minute later off a header from Antoine Griezmann's uh, cross and it was 2-1 and I thought it's over France won the game everyone is feeling that too even the Swiss were like France won the game until they equalized the Swiss and that Swiss equalizer was um, man that was crazy there's a viral picture of a guy on Instagram where he was just crying at the 88th minute or something like that he was just crying because he knew Switzerland would be out and then when the equalizer happened you see him shirtless and just screaming going let's go and like just losing his crap and then all the caption is this is why we love football because of those two extreme emotions and it's very true we love those emotions every soccer fan loves the emotions of the game the the sadness uh, depression of you losing and understanding what's about to happen and also knowing that a lifeline was given to you and it's not over and you still have a chance and that's what happened in switzerland they took it to extra time then they took it to penalties and they won on penalties I want to say this, all the penalties were incredible. All the penalties from Swiss and France were so good. Like, the technical level and the pressure they were on, I was very impressed. Like, really great penalties. And then I feel bad for Mbappe. He's had a lot of criticism because he's had a relatively poor Euro. But at the same time, the man won the World Cup when he was 19. You know, like... (laughs) I think what he, and he's also still like 21, 22, still a young man. He's still young. And I think it's important that, you know, you shouldn't abuse these young players. You shouldn't abuse players at all. But like, especially for someone who's only 21, 22, I think the kind of attention you should get is positivity and be like, hey man, I know it's tough, but you know what? You have the skill and you need to build and uh, develop your mentality so that these comments won't get to you and that you can just overcome and become the best, you know? Take on a bit of that Cristiano Ronaldo energy where he loves the haters. Cristiano Ronaldo loves the haters because he lives to prove them wrong. And if Mbappe takes a little more of that attitude, I think we're going to see a hell of a... not. We already see a hell of a player, but we're going to see a, a, a complete beast if he has a little bit of that fuck you attitude. So those two games are incredible. The Swiss make it through. What I love is that when Mbappe missed his uh, final penalty, and he was the fifth penalty taker, I was the fifth penalty taker for a playoff game once, and it is the most stressful. There's a lot, like, I didn't feel my knees, and I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to hit this ball. I scored. I was happy. I scored. We made it to the next round, but it is a very nerving moment for sure. And Mbappe, here he is taking the last one. He misses, and my favorite moment was the Swiss goalkeeper, Somer. He... (laughs) When he saved the goal, he didn't even celebrate. He just looked at the ref because he couldn't believe that like you could tell you could see the denial in his head that we just won because if Mbappe missed that penalty France immediately loses and because it was into the sudden death part of penalties and when Somer saved it he looked at the ref looked at the linesman he didn't celebrate yet even his teammates were not running towards him just yet but then when he saw the ref give the goal uh you know say that the goal was denied and blocked 
he started celebrating then. And the way the Swiss celebrated was what we live for in football. Because again, Switzerland is a small team versus France. Switzerland, they're the underdogs versus France. And for them to make it through was a very big statement. I was so happy to see that. Like I said, I like to see the small teams make it through. And Switzerland did. And they did they did the biggest task of defeating France. So, you know, props to Switzerland. And that yesterday's matches, you know, just confirmed that this is by far the best Euros that we've seen so far. Nine own goals in one tournament, which is a new record. <laughs> uh, I don't know how many goals are score, scored already. Uh, big teams losing out. Smaller teams making it through. It's a fun Euro, man. Be- Portugal's just got knocked out by Belgium. And I'm happy for Belgium because that golden generation needs to prove their worth. This is the tournament for Belgium to win. They have to win this tournament if they want to, if they want any form of validation as a gener- as a generation of golden talent. So sometimes when I again going back to Pushkash, I wonder how what his comments would be in today's game. You know, when you get see those old school guys, you always I'm always curious as to how they see the game versus how it was for them when they used to play. And part of me probably feels like Pushkash would perhaps love what he's seeing now because the footballing is beautiful it's technical it's attacking it's entertaining it's flair it's it's fun to watch it really is so the euros are only but getting better and i can't wait to see more and yeah so this is my episode on budapest <laughs> i spent a, yeah as i said the first half i talked about budapest and hungary and so on and then the other half i talked about matches but now you understand that now you understand why people like small teams. Like even though Hungary didn't make it through, their fans remind you why it's worth supporting them. Are there racist elements among the fans? Of course, as with any country there is. But we're here to see the beauty and the fun in the beautiful game. So that being said, thank you for listening. My name is uh, Jason Kim. You could follow Soccer Pilgrim on Instagram, on Spotify. You could follow it on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and any other streaming platform. You could also follow my personal uh, Instagram account at Jason underscore Jisoo, G-I-S-O-O. You can follow that on Instagram. And as always, thank you for being an audience. Thank you for listening. From Montreal, this is Soccer Pilgrim. Thank you.